Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals, brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. In this episode, Austin Business Journal Assistant Managing Editor Paul Thompson connects with Mike Nefkins, CEO of Rainwater Tech, who shares his vision to make it rain. First off, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, Mike, is because I read Brent's story about Rainwater Tech, and I just found it quite fascinating. You know, it's obviously science, but it almost reads like science fiction for the lay individual. So I was hoping maybe you could come on here and talk to our audience a little bit about how this actually works and, and how close it is to you know being implemented in a major public way. Yeah, great. No, happy to do that. Um, yeah, and there's a little bit of a backstory here, obviously. So, uh, so there has been kind of uh, rain enhancement technologies have been out and about for probably about 30, 40 years, right? So they've used uh, similar technologies for fog dispersion at uh, at airfields, and uh, the big one that's used in the U.S. is aviation cloud seeding. So it's basically the technology is basically very similar. It's uh, stimulating cloud nuclei and uh, you know having it enhance rain from an aviation basis, they literally have airplanes fly through the clouds and uh, they spray what's called silver iodide into the clouds and it uh, the science happens there. So uh, what we saw, which was interesting uh, with Rainwater Tech, the aviation-based cloud seeding doesn't really scale. And I'm a pilot, so uh, I was very excited about the aviation piece of it. It doesn't scale. You've got to have airplanes all over the place when the weather comes in. And uh, so we went on a pretty exhaustive search looking at, you know, the science and tech that would allow us to do this at a bigger scale. And uh, we did find a technology that's actually been in use uh, probably for about 10 years. They've done some pretty major tests in the Middle East and in Australia, and it's called ground-based ionization. So it's basically the same technology principles as aviation-based. It's been used in our country for quite a while, but it is ground-based. And what it does is it basically is an old, from your physics classes, I don't remember, people remember uh, the Van der Graaff generator. It produces ions. Uh, it's negatively charged particles that uh, naturally float up with the updrafts into the weather and uh, attach to the cloud nuclei basically provide them a charge and uh, and reduces water. So it's a fairly simple technology. It's been around a while, statistically proven. The big trial that I just talked about uh, was done in Oman, and uh, we saw that it enhanced anywhere, depending on the year, between 5 and 18% rainfall, which is quite significant when you look at, uh, you know, cubic feet of water or uh, acre feet of water is what we look at in this country. So, so that's how we came across the technology. It works. The science is there. It's just never been commercialized in our country. So uh, so that's why we're so excited uh, to bring it to the U.S. and to, to make a major impact. In layman terms, if you know, stop me if I'm oversimplifying, but essentially what you're doing is you know, making it rain, right? Yeah, we're enhancing rain, right? So th- this is a, a very this is a very important point. I wish we had technology to get blue skies, <laughs> snap your and, fingers, uh, and, and create rain out of nothing, right? So uh, no, that that is not here yet. I don't think that'll ever happen, technology wise. But uh, this is all about when the conditions are right, meaning dew point, temperature, atmospheric conditions, humidity, wind patterns. We're able to uh, to enhance rainfall and uh, create more in the areas that need it most, and that's the real key here, right? It's getting water to the areas that need it most. And that's what our technology allows us to do. 
Yeah, and it's fascinating. We had an event just uh, you know a month or two back where we talked about water needs in Central Texas and you know some of the areas that that really need it. Obviously, having big semiconductor manufacturers and other huge manufacturers in the area drawing big business here is going to you know continue to require a lot of water. You said five to eighteen percent. Is that about the top line? That eighteen percent, and is that enough to? communities meet water needs for yeah. years. No, and that, that's a great question. I mean, look, um, you know, I lived in Latin America for 10 years and used to drink bottled water there all the time and never thought we would see that in our country, right? And we have spots in our country where people are drinking bottled water. You know, if you look at Flint, Michigan, you look at some of the areas in Mississippi, and we do not want that happening in Texas, right? So, uh, so really, any technology that can help bring additional water is value add and um, you know especially in the areas that need it most i mean what we're seeing in our country is the areas that don't need rain are getting it and the areas that need it most are not so this is about being able to you know release some of that water in the areas that need it most and uh, and texas needs that right if you take a look at the aquifers in texas the edward aquifer and you know the trinity uh, they are both down at all-time lows and I'm a Texan. I grew up in Texas and it concerns me. And I never want to see our state or our city here in Austin, you know, have to go to bottled water. So, you know, anything between five and 20 percent is going to help. It will uh, lower water costs. It will ensure that we're not ever moving to bottled water and uh, it will make a difference. And big picture, I mean, even is there an opportunity that you think there the technology can be enhanced over the course of a matter of decades? We continue. I mean, one of our big things, the good news with this technology is it works now, right? So uh, so this is not a big R&D play. It's not that we're going to be in a lab for five years trying to figure out how to deploy this. This is deployable in 2023. So we're excited, but we're going to constantly look at an enhancement. We've got uh, some really good patents that are focused on the top of the uh, the antenna, the array that focuses on kind of the, the, the plasma piece, the delivery mechanism. But, uh, you know, I sure, we want to go beyond this. There have been a lot of discussions discussions around, you know, can we put this on drones and get it into the air that way and be more, uh, you know, more direct than the ground-based system. But we will continue to look at enhancements and uh, obviously any new technologies that come, we will add to our solution. Just based on the signals you were sending right there, it sounds like you said it's deployable right away. It's not an R&D play. It's something that you know, is implementable right, right now. It sounds like you know, once you go public through this spec, that, that things will really kick off quick. Have you set like target areas? Or is is this going to be deployed in Texas? It will be. So, yeah, we have, um, you know, we just uh, posted our investor presentation, I believe, uh, a couple days ago, and we've listed the target industries we're focused on. So I can walk you through those and it will be deployed in Texas. We are focusing, obviously, on large landowners and agriculture is really number one. If you take a look at the the real need for water, it really is all based on you know ag and cattle and you know all the different parts of that. So uh, so that's going to be a, a big target area for us. Uh, although we're also looking at you know things like golf courses and ski resorts. Uh, as you know, golf courses use a ton of water and uh, they cause a lot of friction in a lot of communities for all the water they use. So being able to enhance that would be great. Ski resorts, uh, obviously, getting more snow is important to them from an economic perspective. Uh, they've been using aviation-based cloud seeding, so this. Is something that will simplify that approach for them. So that's one big area. The other one is obviously going direct to cities and municipalities, right, who really care about the aquifers and, um, you know, and and water levels uh, and even lake levels. I mean, you know, look here. I don't know if you've been out to Lake Travis in the last year. It's it's scary compared to, you know, what it was many, many years ago. So uh, so we want to focus on those areas. Obviously, big projects like, uh, you know, the Great Salt Lake, uh, southern Arizona, 
Those are areas that right now are in real eco trouble and uh, they're focused on how can they you know, bring additional water to those areas. So those are the areas we'll be focusing on. There's also a big insurance play, right? Uh, insurance companies, uh, I mean, you remember the Bastrop fires, uh, you know, it was like 10 years or so ago. That was a huge eco disaster in our state. So uh, being able to put more moisture into the soil will reduce ins- insurance premiums. And that's a benefit to, you know, all the way from the, the, the fire departments to the community, to to policyholders that are paying high insurance premiums. Uh, so we'll be targeting them as well. And then the other is, you know, looking at power as well as a big one. Uh, the dams obviously need water. Nuclear needs water, cooling water. So absolutely. What's beautiful about this tech is it really goes across many industries. Yeah, really interesting. And you may have triggered a couple of folks with the mention of Lake Travis. I'm sure there's a few boat owners and owners around that area that would cough up a few bucks. I'm telling you, I was out on Lake Travis uh, the July 4th weekend and, um, I've been out many times on July 4th, and this was the first year where we actually said, I'm not sure we're going to do it again. The level was so low, it was uh, it was just scary, you know, when we were out there. So, uh, but that's definitely the kind of areas that we want to go impact. You've obviously been around business for a long time. We've mentioned in our previous story, but, you know, you, you worked at Residio, Honeywell, a couple of other big you know, Fortune 500 type companies. So I wondered, how did you know that the idea for rainwater tech was something that you just had to pursue. Is yeah. there an aha moment with that? You know, there were some aha moments. So yeah, I spent uh, 20 years at Hewlett Packard uh, where I led their services business. So a uh, big business, over 100,000 people on my team, over $20 billion at P&L. So we sold services there and Rainwater Tech is a services play. So this is not about just selling the hardware. We will sell this as a service to landowners, municipalities. So think of it, we'll install it, do all the prep work at the beginning. A lot of meteorological information is needed, which we have around when to turn the system on and when not, and then providing monthly reporting showing the advances. So my 20 years at Hewlett Packard, you know, really helped me understand how to deploy a service and do that efficiently. The same thing at Honeywell. Uh, We spun a a business off of Honeywell that had been there for a long time that's called Residio now. And uh, again, a great experience just taking a company public, building a new culture, really injecting kind of technology into the thinking. And those are the same kind of things we're going to do at Rainwater. So Rainwater is all about creating that service, creating a culture, new team. But the big aha moment for me really was being a pilot. You know, I spend a lot of time flying across the U.S. and um, my kids live out West. And, you know, when you're flying over the West and you're just looking out and you just see the drought, it just, you know, really, really bothered me. And that's where I said, I want to go dedicate the rest of my career to the climate side. I initially wanted to go do it with an aviation focus. And like I said, I looked at the aviation-based cloud seeding and uh, just saw that that really was not the most optimal technology. So that was the aha moment for me. The other is, look, I've got a lot of amazing contacts still in multiple industries and uh, just chatting with, uh, you know, those CEOs and, you know, chief sustainability officers and others. When I put the concept in front of them, they said, look, we would invest in this. We would be all over this. The time is right in our country to go do this. My frustration is we see a lot of press about the problem, right? Drought, 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 water, water, water. But we see very little on the solution side. And uh, so for me, the aha moment was, hey, I have an opportunity to bring a great solution. This is about improving people's lives. Uh, It's a public benefit in essence. And that's what got me so excited about this. And that's why I'm dedicating the rest of my career to, uh, to water and to climate tech. Yeah, interesting. You're saying that you're a pilot and it seems like the initial impulse was like, 
I'm going to get in the plane. I'm going to fly this thing myself. We're going to make this happen. Right. And then you have to you step back it. from that and say, okay, well, it's not you, correct to do it that you, way. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. Having a, you know, a fleet of a hundred aircraft and trying to deploy those across the country when weather's around, uh, just not a scalable business. So, so that's Probably why climate issues it. there too with, uh, you oh, know, well, that's, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. You got it. That's the other item is right, right. You're polluting while you're flying up there with all the aircraft. So, so yeah, so that's why when we found this technology and, uh, you know, DMY, our partners, uh, they invest in frontier technology companies. They've done an investment in quantum computing. They've got another one in a satellite imagery company. So when I approached them, we just both really rallied around, uh, you know, the need and, uh, and the fact that we, you know, found a technology that uh, that's going to make a difference. Mike Nefkin's joining us. In our next segment, he explains how ideas become a reality when Texas Business Minds continues. Texas Mutual Insurance Company cares about your injured employees as much as you do. With our proactive and compassionate workers' comp claims handling, taking care of your people is how we take care of your business. Business is better with Texas Mutual. The other thing I wanted to ask you, which you kind of just touched on there is, you know, where do you get these ideas and and how do you vet them? But it sounds like how you vet them is by reaching out to folks and, you know, business that you've met over your career. You said chief sustainability officers, et cetera. Do those kind of folks still reach out to you too? That's exactly right. Look, the key that I've learned over my career is ideas are good ones, and but you've got to make sure that you are able to really test the heck out of them. So, you know, my vetting process, you know, I spent a good six months just talking to people about the idea and, you know, would they buy it? What is the value to them, right? And uh, those are the things that were important because we're trailblazing a new market here. This is not like we're entering a market that's established. This is new. So I wanted to make sure that number one, uh, the most important thing for me was making sure the technology worked and that we had you know, exclusivity and the rights to be able to really run this tech. Number two was making sure there is a buyer and a need for it. And uh, so, yeah, I spent a lot of time asking questions. And uh, one of the things that I've learned uh, over my career, it's, it's all about asking questions and, uh, you know, get the information, go deep. And I, I've spent time with probably over 300 people just going through the proposition and, and everything else. So, uh, so that is exactly right. You know, that's how you take an idea to market is you just got to spend time with people that, that no one will give you the proper feedback to be able to, you know, turn that into a business. Yeah. And it sounds obviously like you're onto something, but do you think you have people in your orbit that would say, if it was a bad idea, that would say, Oh, oh trust me. I've, uh, I've, I've had several ideas over my career where people in my orbit have been very clear about uh, <laughs> their point of view on, on it. So, but look, I mean, I think um, you, you've got to have, you know, nine bad ideas for every good one. Right. So, uh, you know, you got a 10% hit rate and, Sure. I mean, um, I've had uh, several other things I put in front of people. They're like, you're crazy. And the more I look through it, you know, the more I realize there's not a business opportunity there. That did not happen here. Uh, this was the one that the more people I talked to, the more excited I got. And that's what you're looking for when you're looking to, you know, trailblaze into a you know new market with a frontier technology. So, so, you know, our hit rate on just feedback from scientists to meteorologists to, you know, potential customers to even, you know, even foundations, right, that are focused on climate and focused on water that we're like, hey, we would love to support this activity. And if you take this business public and get it going, we're in. So, uh, you know, that's what we were looking for. Yeah. So not every shower thought is going to transfer into yeah. something that can become a public company, right? And you yeah. got to be willing to take the, the good feedback with the bad feedback. and Exactly. 
Exactly. And that feedback has helped me really kind of, uh, you know, fine tune our value proposition and our approach. Right. So uh, the approach has changed quite a bit over a year period. And uh, and that's due to all the great feedback we got. I mentioned the public companies you worked at before, uh, some of the work you've done in business. It's pretty rare to be a multi-time public company CEO. And that's essentially where, you know, what you're getting to here. What advice do you have for executive types who are not there yet, but are hoping one day to, to become uh, CEO of a public company. First off, I always tell everybody being a public company CEO is not everything people think it is, right? These are really, really tough jobs with risk and uh, a lot of pressure. What I would tell people that aspire for this is it gets back to what we talked about earlier around, you know, to me, unanswered questions and risks do not get better with time. You have got to continue to ask the hard questions and get the blunt answers, whether you know they're the ones you want or not. I see that a lot of more junior executives, they don't know really how to manage risk and to get on top of risk and understand it and neutralize it. So um, they focus so much on the good things and they let the bad things creep up on them and get them, right? So. What I would tell, and I coach, I'm, I'm actually an executive coach and I spend a lot of time coaching CEOs. And this is one of the things I really help them with, which is, you know, how are you managing your risks? And who is your inner circle? Who is your circle of influence? Who is giving you hard feedback, right? So, uh, and that's really important for a CEO. It's a very lonely job, uh, but you need to find a way to get the one version of the truth or really good feedback from people. If you're the CEO that is a, you know, is a yes man and everyone just tells you yes all the time because they're afraid to challenge you, you will fail. So my advice is uh, always to aspiring CEOs, have people around you that are going to push you, uh, that are going to question you, and uh, also people around you who you're able to ask a tough question to and really be able to find out what the risks are and be able to neutralize those before they really uh, they really hit you. Don't just shove them in a closet and let them grow into monsters, right? That's exactly right. And a lot of people will do that, right? Think we'll let the next person take care of this. That doesn't work. It does not work. <laughs> so you got to be brave enough to attack these issues. And uh, and that's really the only way to be successful. Well said. And um, before I forget, you mentioned the rights for the technology. Are you referring to patents? Yeah. So what we have is, um, so we've got the technology locked down and we've uh, secured some patents in the U.S. on the delivery system. So it's on the plasma array on top that we've secured as well. That's all in the, the filings that we put in there. So, uh, you know, people can go look at that. But uh, but that's important, obviously, as you enter a new market to make sure that, uh, you know, you've got the technology locked down and, uh, you know, and, and we're very excited about that. So, yeah, we've got a really good approach there. Yeah, I know you can't talk specifics about the SPAC and investors and sort of things like that necessarily, but I did want to ask broadly if we can do that. Is there a sort of a right way for a company to go public? And um, in some ways, it does seem like, you know, SPACs were really yeah. hot, fashionable a couple of years back. And maybe it's not necessarily every company is doing that now. But uh, why was it right for Rainwater Tech? Yeah. So, you know, there are a couple different ways that uh, that you can get capital, right? And that's really, you got to kind of pull back and look at kind of the capital approach. Number one is you can just sell the company right at, straight out, right? So that's a way to do it. The other is you can do a private raise. So I know there's been, you know, the PE world, the private equity world has been huge on the private raise side. And then there are different ways you can go public, right? You can go kind of a traditional IPO and there are a couple different kinds of IPOs. You can also go through a SPAC, which is a special purpose asset collection, right? So a SPAC is 
is basically a company that's already public. They've already received funds. And this SPAC, in essence, uh, in our deal, is going to do an acquisition of uh, or a merger with our company and then uh, be listed on the exchange. We looked at the uh, at the various ways on what would be best for our company. We felt all SPACs are not created equal. That's a very important point because um, the firm that we're working with, DMY Technology, has done five very successful SPACs, and they focus specifically on frontier technologies. So we felt that um, their experience in taking companies like this public is the best in the industry, and they've had the lowest redemption rates of anyone. And um, I've spoken with the other CEOs, very important, at those companies who are very happy with the support they've gotten from DMY. Mm-hmm. So we felt that this way was the best for us to, number one, get the capital we need. And number two, I really felt that because this business is going to be dealing with a lot of big sustainability offices at public companies and uh, focused on large contracts that being public would give us more credibility. Being public means that, you know, our, our financials are SEC compliant. It means we've got the right governance from a board perspective. I felt in this case, those were all the things we needed to really be credible when we're speaking to, you know, countries even that are looking at this technology or we're speaking to large landowners and others. So I think we, in this case, we have found a very reputable SPAC company. It will be public will give us the things that we need to be more credible when we really are going to market. So that's why we chose the SPAC route. Yeah, it sounds like maybe, you know, that route helps insulate you from maybe economic headwinds that are that a lot of, you know, tech companies and, and other people. Yeah, well, one of the good things here is that this company, it's not a big R&D play. We're not investing for years in R&D. It's more of a commercialization effort. So what I didn't want to do on the private raise side was, you know, have to go beg for money every three or four months, right? So we wanted to be able to partner with the right company that can get us out of the gate and we can focus just on commercialization and on winning contracts. And DMY, their approach will allow us to do that. So, you know, pros and cons to all different approaches. But, uh, you know, on paper, as we went through this and we spoke back to what we talked about earlier with many, many advisors on this, this was the, I felt in the team, the most effective route for us to be successful. I wanted to ask just broadly about potential recession, economic headwinds, that kind of thing. Is that something that keeps you up at night at this point? Do you have predictions? I know you have a big Rolodex of folks in yeah, look, industries that you speak with. Yeah, there's uh, that's such a complex question, right? <laughs> well, you have look, like 22 the, the seconds. The reality is I think everybody can agree that the economy overheated, right? Uh, kind of post-COVID, at the end of COVID. So we, there's no one that will disagree with that. So, uh, and look, the inflation numbers show that. So everybody, and, and if you take a look at what's happening out there with, the, I think a lot of companies overhired, right? So what we're seeing is we're seeing more of a kind of back to normal again, if that makes sense. I'm hoping that this is a back to normal and not a, you know, medium to long term recession. So, uh, so that's, uh, now the problem with that is uh, a lot of investors, you know, after a year or two of really high returns are expecting that. So, uh, that is something that we'll have to see. But uh, the good news about water is, look, water in essence is is recession proof. Everybody needs it, right? It's not something that people will consume less <laughs> because the you know the uh, the economy has gone in recession. So we're happy about that with our business. This business should thrive whether there's a recession or whether the economy is hot. I think it gives us access to better talent right now. We have people that are willing to take a chance and jump into a sector or a business like this. So that is a benefit for us. 
But I do believe that the, you know, what, what I, you know, all the information I'm getting from people, the next two years will cool down significantly. And uh, whether that's a back to normal or whether that is going to recession for a year or two, we'll have to see what that is. Also, we have to remember in this country, uh, I think a lot of it will depend on the political landscape and the election coming up in two years as well on you know what's going to happen there. So there are a lot of moving pieces to this, but uh, I definitely know that uh, you know the next year or two will be tighter than the last year or two, and I think everyone is already feeling that. Thanks to Mike Nefkins, CEO of Rainwater Tech, for joining us. And thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas.